0: This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. Hey, it's your host, Krista Makes. Do you know that I write custom songs? That's right. I'd love to write you, that special someone, co-worker, friend or foe, their very own custom song. Makes a great gift for birthdays, anniversaries, holidays and more. For more info, email me at kristamakes at gmail.com. Now let's get into this awesome episode. Hey everybody, today's guest is Dan Marsala, lead vocalist for St. Louis, Missouri rockers Story of the Year. Dan and I dive deep into their 2003 breakout smash single, Until the Day I Die, taken from their debut major label album, Page Avenue. In a first on Krista Makes a Podcast, Dan shares that the title of the song came first and that he and the band had to then write a song around that title, something they haven't done since. He was about as humble as can be when recounting how producer John Feldman was an integral part to not only the recording of the record, but in shaping the band's overall sound. We touched on the importance of networking as a young band, and how that played a huge part in Story of the Year connecting with John Feldman. This is a band that worked tremendously hard, and it is no surprise that when their demo did manage to reach John's ears, they were signed to a label deal rather quickly. And I was able to surprise Dan with quite a few things about his own song, a track that was written almost 20 years ago. For all this and a whole ton more, stick around. Hey, hey, have you heard Krista makes a podcast? Hey, hey, have you heard Krista makes a podcast? Hey, hey, have you heard Krista makes a podcast? Yo Dan, what's shaking? Hey, it's me. It's me Dan.
1: Hi. It's you, Mr. Dan Marsala. How are you today? I'm great. Uh just waking up, being uh doing morning stuff. I'm still kind of a rock and roll dude that doesn't get up real early all the time, but I do have kids, so it's like I'm in this weird uh non-morning guy, but I have to be a morning guy still. But, you know.
0: I hear you. I I, I got a couple of little ones myself and uh yeah, sleep
1: sleeping in is a is a luxury these days. Yeah. Yeah, um, I've I've now that it's summertime, I've kind of trained my kids to just be like, yeah, just, just keep sleeping for a little while. It's fine. Yeah, whoever thought you had to go back on tour to get rest—that's a weird one. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> so where 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 are you at right now? Are you in St. Louis? I am in St. Louis, Missouri. Lovely, well, hanging lovely. out in my basement. Well, I wanted to give uh, a a little overview uh, for the listeners here of Story of the Year. So uh, you guys were essentially formed in 1995 in St. Louis under the name 67 North. Uh, The band changed the name to Big Blue Monkey in 1998. And I want to say I remember you guys because uh, did we
1: ever play together at the Galaxy? I don't think we ever. I don't know. I don't think we played together, but I definitely saw you guys at the Galaxy a a bunch. And I'm sure we berated you with big blue monkey uh you know
0: stickers and cds i'm telling you when i when i was researching this i saw the name like i rem- I remember that name and for those that don't know the galaxy was maybe not to you because you're from st louis to me it was a legendary venue in st louis we loved playing
1: there yeah it's still like my favorite venue that used to exist here and yeah we have plenty of memories of it, it it's it's still pretty legendary for all of us too is the building still there? Or what is it now? Um, yeah, but I don't know what it is now. It's not even, it's not a venue or anything. It's it turned into like some kind of art v- room or some shit. I don't know. It's, uh, it's just, it's just a building on the, on the road now, but
0: yeah. And, and of course one of my favorite venues ever besides the galaxy was it, it, no longer there either. It's been demolished was, uh, Mississippi nights, which, yep. uh, man, <laughs> what a
1: place that was. That was awesome. Yeah. Right down on the riverfront there. And, uh, yeah, those were like the two spots that, that like we always wanted to play as a local band. Yeah, that was like the goals. Well, Mississippi Nights was a little bigger, so the Galaxy was like the the shittier one that you would play. It was like our cool punk club, you know, and then, yeah, Mississippi Nights was like, man, we made it when we got here. It's awesome. Yeah,
0: you know, and, and I don't know what it was about St. Louis, the scene there, at least in the 90s, and it's still great for, for, for Less Than Jake, but when we would go there, uh, man, the shows were just... Uh, out, out of control. You know, you don't look at St. Louis as like a, a huge A market like a Chicago or New York, but we had just as good shows in St. Louis as, as anywhere else.
1: Yeah, I think it's like very loyal to the bands that come through because, you know, it's not always the biggest stop on the tour. But when bands do come through a few times, everybody will continue to come see, you, you know, it's just one of those markets where people people stick with the bands and love the people who come through. And yeah, it's always fun. I mean, it's different for us because we're from here and it's our hometown. So it's always been amazing when we play here. But But yeah, it's uh, I hear that a lot. People like St. Well, also people are like, I fucking hate St. Louis because it's (laughs) disgusting and. How do you not yeah, get murdered here? I've never, I've here never really every day. gotten that
0: vibe. Of course, I've never lived there, but uh, I've I've always always loved St. Louis. So, in the year 2000, um, uh, you moved up from drums to vocals uh, from yeah. and Big Blue Monkey. I was going to
1: say those early years were you know, it was basically a different band. That was just us forming local bands and you know figuring out our lineup and being young kids. And then you know we didn't really become the lineup that we are until probably around 2000 or so
0: right and well and uh you guys relocated to orange county california the final big blue monkey ep was released in 2002 titled story of the year which is what you guys changed the band name to uh later that year uh then you got signed to maverick uh, in 2002, and recorded your first record, uh, Page Avenue, with with John Feldman. Yes. Um, in November 2002, you had recorded three songs uh, before you had went back to re- to record the rest of the record. And those three songs were Anthem of Our Dying Day, Razor Blades, and the track we're going to dive into today, Until the Day I Die. Yes. And I guess you guys accumulated like 25 to 30 songs, and then returned to the studio in March of 2003 to to finish Page Avenue. Uh, after the recording you guys went back to St. Louis and immediately started touring it, where my paths crossed with you guys from the first time I remember which was the Warp Tour 2003 that you yep. guys were on which is yes. crazy that you were out on that tour because the single didn't drop until August 2003.
1: Yeah, we did that that whole Warp Tour that year uh before the record even came out cuz yeah, I think it came out at the end of the summer or so, yeah, or maybe the single did or no, it came out in September. Okay, so it was after Warp Tour. Yeah. Um yeah, we were just Hit. We immediately hit the road as soon as, as soon as the record was done, and just uh, started kicking ass. Yeah, we recorded those three songs first. Well, there's a lot of you know backstory we can get into with this whole record, but uh, we ended up be- getting lucky and touring with Goldfinger. Just from doing the same thing that you were saying at the Galaxy, uh, just, you know, hitting them with CDs and, and stickers and, hey, listen to my band, listen to my band, we're really cool, really cool, <laughs> just being annoying kids. And uh, somehow John Feldman was like, he heard about it or he saw our, we had like a VHS tape at the time, and, uh, you know, when people made those, uh, <laughs> it was like a home video of us playing and doing jackass kind of stuff, you know, and just being, being kids. And uh, they thought we looked fun, so they Goldfinger just took us on tour. Like we were an unsigned, just local band from St. Louis, and uh, we did two weeks with Goldfinger. And he's like, "I want to produce your record," and we were like, "Of course you do. That would be amazing." Uh, At the time, he had only done uh, like the used and uh, like maybe a messed record and a couple things, you know. But he he hadn't really, you know, reached the level of success that he has now. But yeah, I think that's all that he had done. I mean, I know his
0: first project was a band called Show Off from Chicago. That uh, I love that band, and then of course he did the Used and Messed. And you guys were right there on, on some of his of his early productions. Uh, yeah. the, the record Page Avenue peaked at number fifty one on the Billboard two hundred. Uh, eventually went gold, uh, over five hundred thousand al- albums sold, which is which is awesome. Uh, until the Day I Die, Anthem of Our Dying Day, and the third single from the album Sidewalks all charted on the alternative song. Uh, chart. And I remember I was living in Tampa in 97, 97 X out of St. Petersburg played the hell out of until the day I die. I mean, they were a big station for you. I don't know if you felt yeah. that when you, when you come to Florida, but, uh, that, that song was just everywhere, uh, in 2003, 2004.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I definitely remember Florida being, doing very well, um, with it. I, uh, there was like this, our St. Louis station, the point, they picked it up, you know, because we were the local band, but then I remember K-Rock picking it up, and then after that, it was just like everybody started playing it, and it it uh, it got crazy, you know, it's like one of those things where, like, we, I think that, like, it didn't really start getting a lot of radio play until, like, five or six months after the record came out, because we ended up going on tour with Linkin Park in um, March of 2004, and I think that's whenever, like, K-Rock picked it up and it really started exploding on radio, but, uh, you know, because Linkin Park, they're kind of a big band. People have heard of them. <laughs> we
0: uh, actually did the uh, Project Revolution tour about 4 months after that tour oh, you did nice. with them. Yeah. We were out with yeah. uh, Korn and Snoop Dogg in the U's that summer and that band was enormous. They were they were humongous. So that uh that had to have been a great tour for you. Yeah, such awesome guys too and like we just learned so much. What was it like? I mean, you know, you you weren't uh Weren't amateurs at this point by 2002. I'm sure you had played tons of shows. You had been together uh, or you've been playing shows since 1995. But really, your your first major label album, your first record, Page Avenue, uh, had you guys really recorded anything that you would consider pro uh,
1: prior to, to, to John discovering you? Not really, no. I mean, you know, just demos with local guys that, you know, we hoped could record a record. Uh, We, I mean, we made a few EPs and just like, yeah, we'd done everything ourselves. A lot of it was like recording to tape and one take, you know, and just like stuff that you did in the nineties. And, uh, and a lot of that, I was drumming originally, like we were saying. So, so yeah, we'd only done a couple things with me singing and yeah, uh, until the day I die was like, one of the songs that was written like right before we started recording so that it wasn't something that we had early on or anything like that it was it was just like we started really focusing once we moved relocated to Orange County and we were just like we got to get out of St. Louis we got to go you know really make this band our priority and uh and then once we did that we really started focusing on writing like this new style of music that we were kind of moving into
0: yeah, and I don't mean this as like you were an overnight success. that happened. I mean, it, this did happen pretty quickly, though. When you got with John, I mean, this had to yep. have been a mind trip. All of a sudden, it's yep. like you get with him, and a year later, this song. I mean, that was one of the biggest songs of of oh three oh four. I mean, you
1: guys were everywhere. That had to be unreal. Yeah, it was scary for a little bit, you know, because we we grew up, you know, uh, listening to punk rock and hardcore and and uh, but you know a lot of mainstream rock too. But but we never we didn't really think that we were going to be like this big crazy band we just wanted to you know sell I don't know a few thousand records and hopefully be able to tour and make money you know and um yeah so that all hit really fast and at first we were like this record's too polished it's too it's too perfect you know it sounds too good I don't know what to do and but uh looking back like John Feldman was uh just a mastermind and he knew exactly what he was doing and made us a way better band than we than we were at the time And uh, yeah, it, but it was, it was a crazy ride. Well,
0: yeah, you know, I was, I I was going to, I was going to say not, not to interrupt you. I just, you you, you reminded me of something. I mean, here you guys are, you hadn't really, you you know, said that you recorded professionally before you just worked with a couple local guys and how integral was John? I mean, there's a lot of interesting guitar tones and sounds and stuff going on here i mean and then of course after you recorded this you had to replicate that live which you guys which you guys did but i mean I, I could imagine some of these guitar tones it's like john's in there tweaking flanger pedals and tweaking different stuff and it's like okay i gotta recreate that was it was that challenging at all
1: yeah that was part of like the oh no like this 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 doesn't sound like our band you know because we never heard ourselves sound good before you know so it's usually just a raw live kind of recording and. uh um, you know, I'm sure you've done the same thing where you, you know, absolutely you, you overproduce things and you're like, wow, I, I'm never going to be able to pull that off. But uh, but, you know, I, that goes away pretty quickly once you get it down and you're like, OK, cool. Now I love this recording and I'm very happy with it. And, you know, and we, you pull it off however you can live. But well, I'm glad you touched on that because uh, Mark McGrath from Sugar Ray was on, on the
0: show a little, a little bit ago and he brought up something. He was basically like David Kahn, their producer. He's like, he taught me how to sing. And he taught the band. He gave us our sound, you know, and that's not a knock against the band. It's just sometimes, you know, someone outside coming in and you're like, wow, we were this and now we're this and it's this huge thing and we have to do our best to to recreate that. So uh, that's really cool that you you acknowledge that. That's that's awesome. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I think. Yeah, Feldman knew what we were trying to do more than we did, I think. And yeah, um, definitely kind of led us in the right direction and on a lot of the songs we were trying to do, like a lot of different stuff, like whether it was like over the top soloy kind of stuff, or just trying to prove how how good we were at certain times. And like he's <laughs> like he's like, look, man, you don't need that. You don't need that in the song. It doesn't fit the song. You don't need to do a big stupid, uh, you know, over the top, uh, yeah, thingy. You know, you know, you don't have to Sebastian Bach everything on this record. Just like just just do what you want. Just ha- just he taught us that it was all about songwriting. And, uh, you know, not about showing off, basically.
0: Yeah. And I can't stress the importance of the producer's role. I talk about it all the time on this show. It's like it's like a coach for a sports team. There's someone that they're not in the band. They're they're just on the outside, just on the cusp of it, looking in. And they're able to see things differently than we are as artists. I've learned so much from producers once I was able to wrap my mind around it, not have the ego and being a young punk (laughs) rocker attached to it. Once I was able to separate that, I, I learned a lot. Yes, definitely.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, you need that outside perspective all the time. I mean, yeah, we've done stuff later in life where we just pretty much produce it ourselves and it's like, man, we just need somebody else to tell us that we're wrong sometimes. I completely agree w- with that statement. Well, We're going to jump into the
0: to the track now. It's uh, yes. 3 minutes and 55 seconds. There's a 5-second uh intro with this just iconic guitar riff man it's just kind of the the heartbeat of, of the song uh and at the 6 second mark i mean 6 seconds in you're already into what is the first chorus essentially it's it's the it's the in- intro chorus you're getting you're getting the hook right off the top and along with that guitar riff there's this clean guitar just lightly strumming almost not audible it's kind of buried but in a really cool Uh, a cool way so that lightly strumming behind the vocals Uh, and again like I said you get the chorus hook right off the top here And the lyric is, until the day I die, I'll spill my heart for you. And you say, for you, as like a, a response, until the day I die, I'll spill my heart for you. And on the third line there, there's a harmony on until the day I die, which is interesting off the top because it's kind of kind of naked there and you and you don't yeah. expect it. So my first question is, uh, before you set up the lyric is, do you recall, was the song structure, the demo, was it written as is here, or was there a lot of changes uh, that that went along with it with John uh, in the studio?
1: The intro riff was was always how the song started. We wrote this like, I think while we were doing those tours with Goldfinger, it was like a couple weeks and we were all in a van, and uh, we would have like our guitars in the van while we were touring. So I remember me and Ryan, our guitar player because I play guitar too, but not in the band usually. but. Um, but I, I think I might've just started jamming that riff and we just kind of came up with this whole idea. The whole song started just from that little ding, 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 that little riff. And it was just like kind of built off of that. But the, uh, the intro did not have that whole break breakdown chorus at first. It just did the riff and then came straight in. And, uh, you know, that was a John Feldman idea. It was like, Hey, we got to hit him right off the bat with this chorus. Cause it's great chorus. And so, yeah, it was just the broke down version and, uh, we kind of built that in the studio. It was all spur of the moment there. Yeah,
0: you know, you get you get ultimately four choruses in this song, but it never gets uh, it never gets old. Like where you, you got a, a quadruple chorus at the end. It's like, okay, hey, I've heard it enough yeah. now. You know, you get it enough, but you get it in different parts of the song, which is really cool. So so what's going on with this lyric? Like set 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 this uh, this this chorus up for us.
1: Weirdly enough that was the second part that came with the song it was like we just thought that was going to be a cool title so it was like okay let's name this song this before I even started singing it (laughs) weird that never has probably happened since then but it was like we should write a song called until the day I die and it was like okay cool and I was just like until the day I die there it is like there we got it It like just came together really easy you know And, uh, and then it's like okay well what does that mean you know and you had to turn it into something but uh, you know on as a whole the song is just basically kind of just a love song but it was re- technically written more about our relationship as a band because that was all that we really knew at the time because we lived in a van or in a house or whatever together so it's just a relationship song about you know about whoever's the closest to you at the time and how uh you know you uh, hate each other and you love each other and it's just one of those things, you know.
0: Well, I gotta say, this is the first time, and I've done a lot of these, a lot of the, the podcasts so far. Had a lot of artists on here. You're the first one that has said it was just a title. It was a cool, it was a cool lyric, and we wrote a song based around it. You're the first person that, is, and that's why I love doing this because you always hear something new.
1: That's cool. Yeah. And I don't even think I even remembered that or realized that until just now. I was like, oh yeah. I mean, we just. Came up with the title, and then I, I <laughs> guess we just figured out what it meant.
0: Yeah. Well, because usually you say, "What's the inspiration?" or "What's the meaning behind this?" Oh, I went through a breakup, or or I had yeah. a bad childhood, or you know, there's always a story behind it. And this was just, no, it was a cool title. It was a, it was a, could, could be a cool hook. That's right, something around
1: it. Yeah, and that doesn't usually happen with our band, and you know most of our songs are totally a different process. But uh, yeah, that that's just that just fell to get, fell together in a weird way. That's
0: awesome. Well, uh, after uh, you say you here it uh, goes into basically the second intro of the song it's not a reintro it's like a, a, another intro uh and on you the band uh kicks in full band instrumental and uh it's like the, this intro before verse 1 big crash cymbal happening with these stereo staccato rhythms along with this octave guitar riff Spill my heart. just gets really heavy there the guitars get get big for about 10 seconds and then we drop down into uh, verse number one which uh, we're already at 35 seconds into the song at verse one it seems like a long time but there was a lot going on here and it's structured, I think, so well that it doesn't feel like that long of time has went on. Uh, the main riff is here. Uh, the drums are doing a syncopated beat uh, with the rack and the floor tom, kind of like a breakdown for this verse one. And, and verse one is in two parts here. Uh, and this song is a very interesting arrangement. Cause I couldn't tell if there was a pre-chorus here. I don't think we really get choruses. I think it's all a verse, but uh, I'll have I'll have you address that in a moment. But uh, the first half of verse one, I'm going to get to here.
1: As years go by, I race the clock with you. But if you die right now, you know that I die too. I die too.
0: As years go by, I race the clock with you. But if you die right now, you know that I die too. I die too. and on that second I die too, there's a harmony there. So set these lyrics up as to how they pertain to
1: to the title. I mean, yeah, that's just going going through life you know with these people or person. I mean this has definitely like I said it was more as a a band kind of song for us at the time but uh but it has definitely evolved into like everybody's relationship song, you know and and uh, I mean that and it works the same way, you know, whether it's a friend or a, a girlfriend or whatever or a wife. I mean, it's it's all relationships and it's all the same uh, give and take on these kind of lyrics. But it's just the importance of how that person interacts with you and and uh, how you need that person. And uh, you're going through life, you know, as years go by, I race the clock with you. It's just time going by. And, you know, just, uh, how uh, you know, I don't I don't know.
0: No, it's 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 something so relatable. And isn't that amazing how and I've heard artists say this before. After I write and record a song and it goes to the masses, it's no longer mine. They, they, the fans then take ownership of it and yeah. the fans the bandmates your family whoever hears the song they each take something away from it That's why a hundred people can listen to a song and each take a hundred different perspectives away from that song So it's like this idea that you wrote uh, it, it, It's had legs. I mean, I've, I've I watched some live videos of you guys and I've seen that you guys play this live It's like everyone's fist is in the air yeah. Everyone's singing along feeling it and I bet if you asked uh, 10 different people in the audience what it meant to them. They'd probably have 10 different answers
1: Yeah, that's why at first I used to always explain it in the early days as what I'm kind of explaining it as now, but then I kind of stopped because I was like, okay, I want everybody to just have this be like their relationship kind of song for them, because it became like everybody's wedding song, and it's like, you know, they wanted the acoustic version for, we're getting married and we're walking down the aisle (laughs) to it, and I'm like, holy shit, this is like, this is like really connecting with people as as a real relationship song, and you know. To me, it was just like, OK, friends and fucking importance of us just being together all the time. And we have to fucking make this work. And, you know, I love these fucking assholes. And, you know, it was just kind of that whole thing. <laughs> but
0: <laughs> yeah, no. And and, and and the lyrics great. It's not overly, overly complicated. It's a pretty simple lyric, but man, it hits home until the day I doubt I'll spill my heart for you. I mean, that's that that says a lot and can yep. mean a lot of different things. I'm calling this a double verse. It goes into the next part here. This is still verse one to me. The stereo guitars come in here. The main riff is still there, but the drums now are not playing that breakdown beat. They're playing more of a straightforward beat.
1: You remind me of the times when I knew who I was. Still the second hand will catch us like it always does.
0: You remind me of the times when I knew who I was. And there's a, res- a response there, who I was. But still, the second hand will catch us, like it always does. And on the first three lines here, there's harmonies, but there's not a harmony on that last line. And before I have you go into this, where was John in this process? Had, had you guys thought a lot about harmony vocals and different things? Or was he integral to, to where these harmonies would be? And did he have you try different things that you recall?
1: It was a little bit of both. I, I was always uh, very into harmonies and I, uh, you know, that was, I, I wanted to do as much harmony as possible. And, um, when we recorded this, we had a different guitar player and, uh, and then he was not in the band after this. And then we got our other guitar player, Phil, who we later joined. Uh, but that was after we recorded this, but, um, but yeah, we always needed. I was always like, we have to have this other guy who could do harmonies. That was like always a top priority for us. But, um, but, but John Feldman was really good at it. You know, he, he knew where to, you know, put them in as you hear any goldfinger song it's like the harmonies are amazing on all of their recordings so well
0: because the song's not cookie cutter as i said the arrangement's really interesting this this track and the harmonies it's not like oh yeah in verse 1 the harmonies are on the first three lines you go to verse 3 they're in different places there's there's no kind of yeah. uh cookie cutter template here and that's that's really cool i think that's what makes the, the 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 song unique
1: yeah i think we were just accenting like you know certain lyrics and stuff and uh i guess maybe trying to make those stand out more but I don't really remember exactly what you know why we were doing certain words. Maybe it was just like, "Oh, that sounded cool, do that one." But no, Feldman was very, you know, he was very like he knew what he was doing, and the the structure on that verse, the way it breaks down and comes back in, that was not originally like that either. That was a that was a Feldman idea. He was like, "We shouldn't go back to the chorus yet." He's like, "We should break it down, do one more turnaround of this verse." then come back in the chorus i was like okay
0: that's cool you know after uh the second half of verse one uh the main guitar riff comes back in for two seconds by itself and then there's this guitar slide (laughs) that happens
1: (laughs) you know
0: you're you're almost thinking and and I've heard this song a bunch, so I, I knew where the song was going, but it's almost like it should have went to a pre-chorus here. But now you're in verse two, which this verse is really, really different uh, and interesting to me.
1: Make the same mistakes, I'll take the fall for you. I hope you need this now, cause I know I still do.
0: We'll make the same mistakes. I'll take the fall for you. I hope you need this now. Because I know I still do. And it's the same feel as the second half of verse one, except there's no harmonies. There's no harmony vocals here at all. Really? Which is crazy. Before the before the first chorus, you'd think that there'd be something. And
1: I don't think it needs it, but yeah. but was there ever that conversation? And why aren't they there? Do you know? Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm just now realizing that too, I guess. I don't know. Maybe he wanted to cut that out to make the chorus hit. I remember... He was very he's very into like building the song as it goes, and um, so like he like the first chorus probably doesn't have a whole lot of harmony on it. I'm not sure, but uh, but then they, they build as they go. He was always very big into that. But I was always you know just stupid, and I'm like, no, you have to harmonize everything, like <laughs> oh, put a harmony on everything. So that that played into like that every other line kind of thing, and just playing with certain words because he wanted to build it basically. Um, but yeah, I didn't realize that it cut out right there. I don't know. That's well crazy.
0: no and it's interesting again we'll get to it later uh, before what will be I guess chorus 3 verse 3 right before that there's harmonies on every line and we'll talk yeah, about okay. that in, that in a moment sense.
1: yep
0: Hey everybody don't you dare go anywhere there's lots more Chris to make the podcast after these messages from our sponsors Looking to elevate your music career DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with the Spotify Canvas Generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia with its simple interface and customizable mastering options Artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com. Slash VIP, Slash Demakes. That's distrokid.com, Slash VIP, Slash Demakes. And now back to the show. Again, these lyrics here. Was it a collaborative effort on behalf of the band? Were you all writing, or was this was this you uh, alone? Or and and did John get involved with the 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 lyrics at all?
1: Um, No, the lyrics were pretty much all there. I mean, there was a couple since we added like an extra little thing on the verse, we had to throw another line in or something. But it was all done. I I think. I mean, I wrote most of it with help from like I think just the title was like Ryan, our guitar player, saying that we should name it that. But um, and then you know I just wrote most of it off and on wh- over a few weeks but uh our bass player and and I would work together a lot too Adam so I don't I don't really exactly remember there was probably a couple lines that came from other people but but yeah most most of it was me well
0: again it was intriguing that there's no harmonies here because as you said you know maybe John wanted the chorus to really lift here but there's no harmonies until the last line of the first chorus but there is a ton going on in this chorus this chorus gets massive yeah. We're in a minute and eight seconds here Uh, until the day I die. And then the response is until the day I die, the backing vocal. I'll spill my heart for you until the day I die response until the day I die. I'll spill my heart for you. Harmony on that last line. I'll spill my heart for you. There's the, the, the signature to me of this song is that three kick drum pattern with the guitars and bass. Dun, dun, dun. That just is so heavy. Uh, and there's this, what I'm calling a noodly guitar riff, reminiscent of the intro main riff, along with these big stereo guitars that are in there now. Uh, and there's an octave guitar also running through this chorus. There's a lot going on here. So the chorus does lift and build, even though there's not a, not a harmony to that, that last line. So was the chorus that you remember... When you guys were rehearsing this and demoing it, was it pretty much like this, or was that octave guitar and the other stuff added later?
1: It was pretty similar, but I, I don't really remember. Um, I know he kind of simplified maybe that like beat, and he was very into like just like the groove of the chorus. You know, I think we were kind of sloppy, a little sloppier on it with the drum beat and stuff. Like just kind of running through it, but he was like, "No, no, we gotta syncopate this." Like, yes, and like now I'm like, "Yeah, that that's definitely get your head going, and that's that's the catchiness of it." Besides the lyrics, but yeah, he simplified a lot of that kind of stuff. I don't know about the second guitar stuff. I'm sure that was all just added kind of fun stuff in the studio, like doing little uh, octaves and stuff. But yeah, I don't know.
0: Yeah, well, and I gotta say here b- before we go any further that the only reason that this song sounds dated to me is because I know when it came out, but the production doesn't sound dated. I mean yeah. there's bands that sound like this in a sense production wise. I mean of course by 2003 this was recorded to pro tools everything was digital but yep. it's incredible that almost 20 years removed that it still sounds relevant and current whereas something from 2003 if you went back to
1: 1983 it <laughs> 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 think of those production values it's yeah, pretty that's it's crazy. pretty incredible. That is crazy. Yeah, to think that that's almost 20 years ago now. Yeah, he was uh, he was ahead of his time on his production for sure and uh, that's why we were kind of scared when we first heard it, because we were like, this sounds different. <laughs> this doesn't sound right. Yeah, it, and it and it would be intimidating for a
0: young band. I mean, yeah. uh, hell, our first recordings were not done to Pro Tools. They were tape. I mean, our first major label record sounds like a demo. You know, yeah. your first yeah. record sounds like a real friggin' record. It's <laughs> like, oh, my God, I got to replicate this? How the hell am I going to do this?
1: Yeah, and it's, you know, at the time, it was crazy. But, uh, but you know, over the years that became the normal sound and it has become more and more normal. And now I just listen back. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like us, I guess. But at the time this was this was ahead of it. Yeah. And it made you made you a better band. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, this was ahead of its time at uh, production wise, for sure. But and, and Feldman Feldman got a lot better over the years as well. He's even 10 times better than he was then now. But but uh, yeah, he was doing it. He was doing something awesome then. For, for sure. Well, there's a five
0: second Uh, Main guitar riff reintro that happens after the first chorus, uh, with the drums playing that same groove, uh, that breakdown feel as the first half of verse one, and uh, we jump in here. This is now what I'm calling verse three. I said verse two a moment ago, but it's it's really verse three, and it's and it's a double verse. Should I bite my tongue until blood soaks my shirt will never fall apart? Tell me why this hurts so much. And then at the second half of verse three, the band goes halftime. And uh, it's just a different feel here. It's the only time in the song that this happens. Uh, and the lyric is, my hands are at your throat. And I think I hate you, but still will say. Remember when? Just like we always do. Just like we always do. And there's harmonies on every line here before the third chorus, where before yeah. you know, chorus two, as we talked about, there was nothing there. So I thought that was re- that was really cool here, that there was a harmony on each line. And I, I think I know the answer, but you-, you don't recall having that conversation, though.
1: Not really. I do remember I, on the demo. I'm pretty sure that uh we we were we were very into that my hands are at your throat and i think i hate you like we always were going to harmonize that whole part that was always the plan and uh but i you know like i said i was trying to harmonize everything so i don't i don't know but i think by that point that was like a catchy like for sure point where he wanted to harmonize everything but yeah he was building it as it went and yeah i don't know the exact reasoning behind it but yeah Uh, I was all about harmonies all the time. I
0: still am. I think it works brilliantly. And the only time that this happens in the verses, um, well, actually, I take that back. The second uh, half of verse one, you get the who I was response. But on line two here, you get I think I hate you backing vocal. And what I like about this is that these responses aren't just in the choruses of the song. They're in the verses of of the tune. So that gives it kind of a central theme running through as well.
1: Yeah, a lot of that was definitely our idea and I kind of remember why, which is weird to say now, or it was weird to say then, but it's not weird to say now, um, but Taking Back Sunday had just, you know, come out and uh, they had put out, I think their first record was out, and that was, uh, they had the back and forth vocals a lot, right? Like a lot of call and response stuff. Everything that you want well, you prefer
2: My on the trigger, down, down across your floor I mean, down, down across your floor
1: were kind of in that same world and it was like them and the U's were like just starting to blow up and we we're like cool this is like what we're trying to do and uh so i think i was just kind of like just ripping that whole idea off and it was like we gotta we gotta have a call and response stuff like everybody's doing that now it's really cool and, uh, but ours was a little different. What I love about it, when you see
0: the live videos, that's when the audience is really singing yeah. those call and response parts.
1: Yeah. Ours were more like, you know, like almost like delays where it was coming back at you. It wasn't necessarily like two guys singing back and forth all the time, but yeah. but we we just liked that idea, I think. And it just, we purposely threw all that in there for sure.
0: I love you, man. A guy that can put his <laughs> ego aside and say, yeah, I, I ripped this off from another band. I do that all
1: the time. Yeah. Yeah. I <laughs> Dude, I, we do too. And no matter what you rip off you make it your own in your own way so it's like yeah. you know it's okay to be like yeah man uh, that's that's where i got that idea and that's why i did that so yeah yeah it doesn't sound like taking back sunday necessarily but that's why i think i think that's why we did it i'm pretty sure yeah i've made a <clears throat> cough cough a uh, career out of that so <laughs> <laughs> yeah <that's-> um <laughs>
0: well uh The other cool thing at the second half of of verse three here is the last line. So before uh, chorus two, it's only four lines, but before chorus three, there's five lines. You get the extra fifth line on just like we always do. And that extra measure with that line really builds the tension before chorus number three. Just
1: like we always do, just like we always do.
0: do you recall uh, uh, that happened? Was that how the song was written or was that something you wanted
1: to add? Because I, I love that. That was an addition as well. Both the like, pre-chorus things that aren't really pre-choruses are just extended verses. But yeah, that one is really good because it, yeah, it's just the tension builder. I mean, and it's it was a great idea. I always loved that. Like immediately, I was like, oh my God, that makes that chorus hit so much harder. And, uh, and it's different from the first time around too. So, you know, it evolves. And also just makes the chorus huge. So, yeah, that was just another great John Feldman idea. Uh, he's like, no, let's just extend this right here just a little bit. And I was like, oh, wow, that does so much with just that
0: little bitty part, you know? No, I think it's cool. It, it really does add add that tension and build there. And then we get into chorus three. Until the day I die, the delay response, until the day I die, I'll spill my heart for you. Until the day I die with a response until the day I die I'll spill my heart for you and there are harmonies on all four of those lines there in the chorus that you don't get on the first chorus they're all they're all there so the song's yep. still building at this point
1: didn't think that that was the right thing to do at the time. I was like, "No, no, we have to have harmonies on the first chorus." And yeah, he was he was right though cuz it definitely makes that second one different. And I've, you know, learned we've all probably learned this over the years, but the, you know, it, you have to keep your attention somehow, and this is what does it, you know, just changing stuff slightly and uh adding a little something on each chorus and cuz as you as listening to you read the lyrics, it's a very simple chorus. It doesn't change, you know, it's two lines over and over again. So It's like probably the most simple chorus I've ever written in my life. And it's just just those two lines. It's back and forth. So, yeah, you have to build it in some way.
0: I marvel at deconstructing songs. It's just been such a cool thing to look. You know, you just call it a simple lyric. It is. But it's perfect. There's other times on here where there'll be eight lines of lyrics for what is the chorus. I'm like, how did they get away with this much information and have people yeah. latch onto it and have this be this massive song? It, yeah, you, you can you can never really gauge how, how that happens. But yeah. uh, in, a, in all its simplicity, this lyrics perfect.
1: Yeah, and it never it never seems like it's just the same thing over and over again. Like it, it is weird, and it's, it's not, there's no rules. It never nothing makes sense. I don't know, but this this is simple, and it makes that that makes sense. But yeah, sometimes I'll write a long drawn out chorus, and it's just as catchy, but it's a million lyrics, and it makes no sense. I don't know.
0: Was that ever a conversation with John or anybody in the band of, hey, maybe near the end of the song, instead of, I'll spill my heart for you, I'll, I'll, I'll spill my guts for you, or something <laughs> yeah. different happening there. Was there yeah. ever that
1: that conversation? I don't think so, no. Uh, yeah. The, we cool. never tried to do anything else with it. It was just, that is what it is. And I mean Well,
0: on the last uh, two lines of the chorus here, which you get two lines here, you don't get it on the first time, uh, yeah, I'd spill my heart, yeah, I'd spill my heart for you. And, and in my notes, I wrote an ungodly scream. It's awesome. <laughs> 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 I, I am so thankful, Dan, that I never screamed like that when, 20 years ago because, I, 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 A, it wouldn't have been believable, and, B, I wouldn't be able to do it at my age now. I don't know how you guys do it, but that scream, a lot of the guys that were doing what you would call screamo, I don't know, they're, they're, it just sounded fake, but that scream's badass that you do there, man. And well, where did that come from? Was that something John telling you to go for it, or something that you always wanted, wanted to be there?
1: That part was always there. It was a little more of like a hardcore-y, kind of like just high yelly scream at first. And he kind of pushed me to, you know, really give it give it all. But uh, um, yeah, we always, because a lot of our songs on that record are a lot more screamy. And we always wanted to ride that line. And uh, But at the time, you couldn't really get away with screaming on the radio. So this was like, we knew this was going to be probably like a single. And we were hoping maybe it would go to radio someday. But uh, but weirdly enough, that was never an issue with radio. I I don't know if you remember that, but, you know. It you, was, yeah, you, I do you remember didn't have that, to. Yeah. You didn't have to worry about it too much, obviously, because you weren't screaming. But that there you had to do, like, radio edits and stuff and not scream. But they, they allowed this one for some reason. But, yeah, uh, that was always my goal was to do it all and be able to scream and sing at the same time. And I, I wasn't really into the bands that had, like, another guy who would do all the screaming and then the singers just, like, took a break. It's yeah, like, the t-
0: the two singers. Yeah, I was
1: like, I mean, which is cool. It's fine, but I was like, no, if I can't do it, we're not doing it. So I, you know, I've I've always been able to do both, and I, it has evolved over the years. And I scream a little different now, as to not completely blow my voice out all the time. But <laughs> but yeah, well, I can still I can still pull it off though.
0: Not not gonna lie, I have scream envy, Dan. I just can't pull it <laughs> off. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's a uh, after this uh, screaming part, the end of the chorus. There's uh, five seconds. Uh, which is the main guitar riff. It comes back in, and then the feel of the drum groove totally changes for the bridge. Uh, it goes to halftime. It's still in 4-4, four, four, but it feels like it's almost a different time signature. It's really cool. My hands are at your throat,
1: and I think I hate you. we made the same mistakes, mistakes like friends do. My hands are at your throat, and I think I hate you.
0: whole band is broken down the guitar riffs change here uh everything is quieter including the vocals uh it's, it's a really cool twist to everything that's that's happened in the song it, it still sounds like the same song but it's but it's taken you uh somewhere else which which a bridge should do uh, and the lyric is my hands are at your throat and i think i hate you we made the same mistakes mistakes like friends do and I love this because it's harking back to the verse it's almost verse like yeah. but but it but it is different um, and then you get harmonies on the next four lines my hands are at your throat and I think I hate you we made the same mistakes made the same mistakes
1: yeah it's weird I'd never really once again I, I have not broken this song down like this really because you know <laughs> why you would just, you <laughs> yeah yeah you just pl- you just play it and you don't think about it so much you're just like yeah that's the part I, I love the way that that breaks down after that scream and it comes like it's so big and then it comes down to like just nothing I do love that that's really cool and uh but I, I never thought about it like it's basically just the verse again but it's different and it feels totally different it feels like a bridge but it is just the verse lyric again and it's sound, it's sung similar but yeah that, that's 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 a weird turn of events right there and it, no it is and and
0: the peaks and the valleys in the song to where it's heavy and then just goes back to that riff that happens like three or four or five times in this song yeah. it is it is really cool and it's going to happen again here in a minute uh ap- after the the made the same mistakes the last line in the bridge the harmony really lifts there that last harmony, it really just kind of lifts up. And then the bottom drops out. There's this nine second part that's really broke down. And I wrote spacey for lack of a better <laughs> word. It's kind of ethereal, uh, almost sounds like something out of NASA. Uh, there's this uh, heartbeat sounding breakbeat drum pattern that's barely audible. It's just b- kind of buried along with these you know, heavily processed uh, guitars. And as that's happening, the last chorus comes in. The first two lines, until the day I die. I'll Spill My Heart for You. the
1: day I die, i spill my heart
0: for you, for you. you. say for you after that. It doesn't happen in chorus two and three. It only happens at the very top of the song when we get that intro chorus. Yeah. And the for you comes back there. Do you
1: remember having that conversation? Because That's really cool. I think the original demo might have done it the whole time. And uh, I think he he purposely was like don't don't do it in the middle i i think but yeah I, I i didn't remember that like when we would do it live for a lot of years i would just always say the response again i would always do it and i was like <laughs> i was like wait on the record it doesn't do that and it took me a long time to remember that that it comes back at the end but and i still feel like i should always do it cuz it's just naturally comes out so it's like just the response to it but uh yeah, I, I don't exactly know why he did on the intro and on the out, I guess, just to make it different, like we were saying. No,
0: nah, I, I noticed it and I loved it. And, and the only part that's bad about that when you sing all the time is that you'll be off stage and like you'd be doing a meet and greet or meeting fans and they'll bust your balls. Dude, why would yeah. you say for you in the second and third <laughs> chorus? It doesn't happen there. It's like, you're like, oh, uh, I
1: don't know. You're lucky I remembered any of the fucking lyrics. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's when you blame John <laughs> Feldman. You blame the producer. Yeah. It's his yeah.
1: fault. Oh, it's not how it's <laughs> supposed to go. You yeah. get
0: those you get those first two lines here, which is under that spacey part, and then the dun dun dun, the one, two, three kick drum happens, but it it's not as a beat. It just happens as the the whole band doing those hits. Until the day I die, uh, with a response until the day I die. And from there there's harmonies on everything else.
1: Until the day I die. You think I say "until the day I die" enough in this song? <laughs> I do, and
0: I, I think you. I think you need to hit him over the head there. That's what. That's what. The, that's what the last. The last chorus is, is for here. I think. It, yeah, I think it's yeah. great. On the line, I'll spill my heart for you. There's this huge snare roll. It just happens there, and it feels like the whole band's going to take off and it's going to get fast, but it doesn't. It, it's. It's really kind of setting you up for something that doesn't happen in the coolest of ways.
1: It's weird, yeah. I don't remember how this end came to fruition, because on the demo, we go into a whole different part, and we did not come back into the chorus, which is weird, Um, which was dumb, but yeah. It was obvious that we were probably going to have to change that, but we never came back into the chorus on the original version, and uh, so yeah, this must have just all kind of happened in the studio, but yeah, that that role is great, and that extended... Um, holding that note, it's it's so cool live too. It's like feels so like ah, this is really happening.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then the last two lines here, after that huge snare roll, uh, the drums go double time for the next two lines, which is awesome. And there's some really cool double bass patterns going on here, just in just in that part. I love it. And that last line, until the day I die, you get the scream again. Yeah. Then the octave guitar riff and the band groove for about 10 seconds after that uh, and then the band ends with this jing 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 the b minor a to the big g chord and the song the song resolves Again, this this last chorus is it. It really evolved and changed here. Was that something that was kind of created in the studio with John?
1: Yeah, like I said, that was that was non-existent. So he was like, "No, this is just the big one. We're gonna go for it." And yeah, everything was extreme on that last one, and it's all harmonies and all craziness. And yeah, it definitely builds, and it yeah, it's it's crazy, and and you never get sick of that one fucking line. It's like <laughs> I'm still saying until the day I die. But for some reason, even that last scream, it always feels. Like, it's just a powerful lyric, I guess. And it, and it really is a, a cool thing now that I'm thinking about it because I've never thought about how many times I say that over and over again. It could be really boring, but uh, it's just the way it evolves and changes. It's, it's, it's never boring. It's awesome.
0: Well, when I was. Uh, you know, I like my own song. Good for you. You should because I love this song. I think I think it's great, Dan. I've I've always liked it. And when I was, you know, I I watch live videos. I watch different things, uh, researching the song. And the comments are great. I always read the comments too. And it's it's the I've always said it in the show. It's the memories attached to these songs. And the comments yeah. are like, man, this takes me right back, you know. And here's a song you guys wrote almost twenty years ago that built. It's the cornerstone of your career that you're yep. still out there doing it, doing it now, and it's awesome. One last thing before we wrap up. What was this like? In terms of I know you touched on it a little bit it was crazy Feldman kind of discovered you guys you gave him your demo but I mean the point okay for St. Louis not being a quote unquote a, a, a market the yeah. point was a a huge station you're from yeah. there
1: what was it like when this song was blowing up man that had to be a great feeling. yeah uh i think we had a little bit of an advantage being from st louis because there wasn't a lot of rock bands coming out of st louis you know there was a scene and there was uh like uh, a band called the urge that you guys might absolutely yeah Um, love the urge they were like the band that we were trying to be you know they were you know it was more like you know i don't know what they are even considered it's kind of ska punky kind of but it's kind of poppy kind of yeah they're all over the place i love that band just awesome. They were always the St. Louis staple and we were like we would just want to be like the urge, you know. And uh so they were the only example we had and then we kind of surpassed that as far as like outside of regional success and uh yeah, but we were very lucky to have the point always backing us and having like a St. Louis this local scene that loved us and so no matter what, we were always going to be able to play here and just kick ass and it was going to be good. But but yeah, uh I don't know. I think we that was a little bit of an advantage just being from a city where there's not a thousand bands. If we were from LA, then it might just got lost by the wayside or whatever. But but yeah, we stood out here and uh, we were doing something a little different, I guess. So
0: That's very cool. Well, hey, before we uh, before we go here, anything you'd like to leave the listeners with? What's going on with yourself? Story of the year? What do you guys got coming up? Tours? Records?
1: Um, We are, as of today or tomorrow, tomorrow now, we are starting pre-production on a new record and we will be recording sometime in August, actually. So we're going to finish up these songs that we got going on and put out a record sometime at the end of this year so that's fun um and then we got a few shows like that were postponed from last year but uh no touring yet but as soon as we get these songs done we'll get back out on the road and start being a real band again that's the plan awesome man well dude thank you so much uh for for sitting in today i really appreciate it no problem thanks for uh making me realize things about this song i didn't know
0: (laughs) (laughs) very cool
2: Hey, everybody, don't touch that dial. There's plenty more Krista makes a podcast after a few words from our sponsors. You do the same. So, if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there.
0: As we near the end of the show, here's a band you might not know. Welcome to this week's Band You Might Not Know. If you'd like your band to be considered for to Makes a Podcast, all you have to do is submit your song via MP3 only and your bio to BandYouMightNotKnow at gmail.com. This week's featured band is Stay Awake, the product of four expatriates living in Bangkok, Thailand. The experienced four piece hail from all corners of the globe, mixing various punk, rock, and metal influences together. You can find their music on Spotify, and here's a snippet of their song Brave New Normal.
2: The first thing that struck me about that episode was Dan talking about how he had this title of a song and then just built an entire song around an idea for a title, which I can totally relate to because in the bands I play and people will send each other demos like instrumental demos and just name it something. And I can't tell you how many times whatever that was named, even if it was just like a random word for some reason that uh, (laughs) that's that sparks some sort of lyrical idea. So I I thought that was cool that that was the uh, start of this song.
0: No, that was really neat. And I can also relate. And and I'm sure you can too, Chris, with what you just said. There's been times when on demos, you don't have lyrics, so you just start making up something, you know, like, yeah, I'm going down, I'm doing this, I'm going there. And then those, what I call scat lyrics, end up being, some of them, the real lyric because you can't best it. And that was just the emotion that came out that you were feeling at that moment. And it was really cool that he shared that. Also, Until the
2: Day I Die, that riff, that riff really is the uh, cornerstone of this song. And it's almost like that line and that riff if you have those two things and a great band and John Feldman <laughs> producing it, that like, look out. This is gonna be probably a hit song.
0: Yeah, the you know, as I said, the production of, of this track, there's a ton of of uh peaks and valleys in it. It just it, it goes heavy to bottom drops out, and then it happens, you know, something else will happen and a really interesting arrangement. It really uh, crazy where the harmonies are and where they aren't, where, where Feldman placed that and where, where the band placed those. Uh, I, I really, really like it. And I really thought it was cool that, that he was humble enough to, Dan was humble enough to say that, yeah, Feldman kind of shaped our sound. You know, this was our first big record ever in, in a big studio. And we had to go and recreate these parts in order to be a great live band. John Feldman's truly a songsmith. And,
2: uh, th- this was like early in his streak of like nonstop hits. He was just, he was just making hits left and right. And, uh, yeah, y- you know, we, we knew the dude was an, an awesome producer and, and, and player from years of Goldfinger, but, uh, this was right at the start of like,
0: oh shit, everybody wants John Feldman to produce their album. Yeah. And what I also liked dance and what he had mentioned that, you know, they basically gave John probably a cassette tape of, of their demos, and he liked what he heard and asked to produce it. You you never know. There's so many times that younger bands will ask, you know, well, you know, how'd you get in the business, or they like to say, how did you make it? Whatever whatever make it means, you know, how how'd you get out there? And and you just never know. G- give your music. Go to shows. Be part of the scene. Give give your music to bands. Uh, send your send your band into band you might not know. Our segment on here, you know, you you never know who's gonna hear it. That's the truth. That is the truth, and
2: that's kind of an inspiring story like i remember going hey man i remember giving <laughs> i remember giving a cassette tape to less than jake when we came and saw you guys and who knows i mean that that was horrible <laughs> believe me it was a terrible thing but i'm sure people were
0: giving you cds and tapes left and right uh, uh we would get bag bags full in the van we'd have just tapes for days we'd we'd, we'd have and there'd be times like we, we, we were sick of listening to you know screeching weasel or skanking pickle in the van it's like all right demo time. And we go through demos and I can't tell you how many bands we discovered and they'd had their phone number in the cassette and we would call them and say, Hey man, next time we're in insert town here, we want to play a show with you. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. You never know. If you don't
2: try, if you don't put yourself out there, if you just record great songs, but you don't get them in the right hands, you never know, man, you could, you could go from, uh, obscurity to fame. Uh, if you, if the right person hears your great song and has the ability to, uh, make more people hear it.
0: Yeah. And not to take anything away from story of the year and, and Dan kind of alluded to this, but you know, you can't stress enough someone like John Feldman taking this band and molding them into, into what they became when we might not be talking about them today, if it was another producer or if they hadn't given that tape to John, if he, you know, hadn't discovered them essentially.
2: Yeah. He really made them stand out among, you know, the, the sound of story of the year. And, and he brought up taking back Sunday and the used and those, were the bands that were really good at what they do. And I feel like there were a lot of people trying to emulate that at that time and not successfully doing that, (laughs) you know, really uh, not having the recording or not crafting the songs in the right way. Uh, And the story of the year being a, a great band with great songs, but also that combination of teaming up with John Feldman. I mean, it sounds like Dan knows that made all the difference too.
0: Yeah, and and something we didn't talk about, and, and Max Collins had talked about this in the Eve Six episode was you know about paying your dues I mean yeah, granted they had been around since 95 big blue monkey and playing and, and and whatnot but but really they they hit almost immediately after this record it's like they're all of a sudden on all these radio stations and and that's not the band's fault that's just how their story happened because uh, in 1995 when, when less than Jake first got signed or heck even prior to that if if someone like Feldman would have come along and next thing we know we we're on the radio just because we hadn't you know played a hundred shows under our belt the doesn't mean we're we're less legitimate as a band in any way. It sounds to me like in
2: the St. Louis area, they definitely had paid their dues. They'd been around for a long time and uh, played a lot and were focused on their band. And maybe, I don't know if Big Blue Monkey toured or not. I definitely... Heard that that used to be their name. (laughs) I think that's... I I felt like I knew the band name, but I think I just heard the story that that used to be their name because it's kind of a funny name. Uh, But uh, yeah, man, it's... uh, You never know.
0: And speaking of things you never know, Chris, you never know how much fun the after-party episodes are in our VIP program called Supporting Cast. Yeah, just head to ChrisDemakes.com. Every week, you know, one
2: episode of Chris makes a podcast per week is never enough. So we make a podcast called The After Party. And if you join our supporting cast program at chrismakes.com and you get a bonus episode every week, we do fun episodes. We've done our favorite TV theme songs. We've done Chris detailing his time on different tours like the Project Revolution tour and the Race Around Your Anus tour and the Warp Tour and things like that. Every week we come at you with something really fun that isn't songwriting based like Chris
0: Makes a Podcast is. It's anything we feel like doing. That's right. It's, uh, it's just an extension of, of, of this show and uh, an extension of Chris and I uh, letting you know a little bit uh, more about us. It's a lot of fun, and the feedback's been great so far. Uh, if you haven't already, please join the Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group. A lot of times we'll post uh, snippets from the after party uh, in there, uh, little, little teasers and such, and, and it's a great, uh, informative little community there, so please join us over there. And please give me a follow on Instagram, at Less Than Christy. D. I'd really appreciate it. Uh, I want to thank this week's guest, Dan Marsala, from Story of the Year. It was an awesome episode. We'll see you next week.
2: Well, I don't know. Everyone has a podcast now. Well, not really. What is true is that, according to Nielsen statistics, 55% of the U.S. population, that's over 155 million people, have listened to a podcast, and 24% of the population, that's 68 million people, listen to podcasts weekly. And these numbers continue to trend upward. What's also true is that over 75% of all podcasts fade away after the first few episodes. It could be for a variety of reasons. Lack of strong
0: concept, poor production value, people not realizing how much time needs to be dedicated to it, or simply just not knowing how to get the word out about podcasts. That's where
2: WeKnowPodcasting.com comes in. At WeKnowPodcasting.com, we have a combined 25 years of podcast experience, and we can help you achieve your podcasting goals. Whether you need help starting a new podcast or want to take your currently active podcast to the next level, we got you. From consultations to concept development, from theme music to editing, promotion, animation, graphics, you name it, and we're here to help. Don't become another failed podcast statistic. Let us guide you and help your show become a success. Check out the website at WeKnowPodcasting.com, and even if you're on the fence, don't hesitate to reach out. We're friendly guys, we're passionate about pods, and we're here to help.
1: Hey, what's up? This is Blake Wyland. I'm the host of the Tone Mob Podcast. It's a show where I interview guitar people about guitar stuff. We talk about their pedals, their amps, their accessories, their preferences, all that stuff, as well as a healthy dose of whatever comes up. Topics have ranged from aliens to addiction and anywhere in between. Oh yeah, and pizza. We're definitely going to be talking about pizza. So get the show wherever you're listening to this podcast at. Just search The Tone Mob in your search bar and it will pop right up. Come join us. We're having a lot of fun. Thanks for checking it out.